Well, that was all for free. It uh, doesn't have really anything we're going to have to do with what we're going to talk about this morning, but uh, there is a uh, trip to a John Christ show coming up at the end of the month. Uh, Zach Bolin is, is taking some students and families to that. They have uh, a few tickets left. Those shows are sold out. He's a pretty funny guy, and uh, and so uh, I know we've used his videos in service before and just wanted to remind you of the availability of that trip at the end of the month, and so uh, I, I think there's some instructions in your bulletin, but just find Zach if you're interested in that, and uh, he'll, he'll get you signed up and all taken care of, and you can go uh, enjoy that show uh, later this month. Uh, pretty funny stuff. Uh, kind of thinking this week about, um, you know, our, our, our study this morning, and, and it just got me to, to thinking about stuff that uh, we hold on to that we know we don't really need and that we should probably figure out what to do with and get rid of, but for some reason, we, we just can't, you know, and, and maybe there's stuff, uh, you know, in your basement or your attic or uh, in the back of your closet that you know you're never really going to use ever again. You're not sure what you're going to do with that, but you just hold on to it. Uh, a year or so ago, I was reminded of this when uh, my daughter Lacey uh, got a letterman's jacket uh, for high school, you know, and she said, Dad, do you have a letter? So we got out my old letterman's jacket, you know, and, and here's a picture of uh, Sherry is going to really appreciate that, but um, because she looks good in it, and uh, it just... Uh, I finally got to give my letterman's jacket to a girl, so I felt pretty cool. Was, was that a thing when you were in high school? You know, you buy the, and you pass it off. Anyway, and so I finally got to do that. But the letterman's jacket, that that's the most use it's had since I was in high school, you know, for many, many years, right? I, I'm never going to do anything with that thing. I'm not sure what I'm going to, you know, I, I don't know, other than a sermon illustration, what I'm ever going to use it for again. But I just can't figure out you know, how do I let that go? What do, what do I do with it? Where do I put it? You know, I, I just hold on to it. Uh, sitting on my desk, I, I meant to bring it in this morning, but sitting on my desk in my office is a plastic cup from college. You know, I've had that for 20 plus years, you know, and it's, it's on my desk in my office, and, and it reminds me of a stack of these plastic cups we have in our cupboard. We have, we have more cups than we could possibly use in a lifetime, I think, and, and you know, we, we get them at a ball game or whatever, and we bring them home, and you wash them out, and you put them in the cupboard, and then you might pull them out and use them occasionally, but they're still 40,000 in the back of the cupboard as you're using that one, and, and they're just these cups, or maybe coffee mugs, or whatever, and hopefully, uh, we're not the only ones that have these sort of hidden in the back of the, the cupboards in our, our kitchen. And, and we know we can't use them all and that we probably ought to get rid of them somehow, but we just sort of hold on to them, you know, and, and we're not sure why. Uh, maybe uh, there's uh, smells that you can't get rid of. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, my wife, Sherry, she came, uh, I came home and she said, Lance, I think something smells in the basement. Go down. And, and so I walked into the basement and I, you know, I did my best smell test, you know, and I'm walking around and I'm not sure. And, and I go back upstairs and I said, Sherry, I don't think there's anything down. She said, no, it, it smells weird. And I'm like, well, maybe like a 17 year old boy, you know, he lives down there and that. That's my best explanation for the thing. And, and I said, ah, I don't think it's anything. Don't worry about it. And uh, so weeks went by, a week went by. And, and then yesterday she said, Lance, there's something wrong in the basement. 
And I said, well, I, I was in the office, and, and she, she said, in one of the window wells, there's a dead animal. That's the problem. Now, this window well, that she, I said, well, just have Clayton get the thing out of the window well, and she said, he won't do it. And that's a whole other story, right? I'm like, <laughs> I shouldn't have thrown Clayton under the bus like that, but he deserves it because I had to do it, Right. So this window well, though, is built under, we have this bay window in our kitchen, and the window well is under the bay window, and so you can't fit anything except this animal uh, into the window well under this bay window. I have no idea why the window is there or what, it, because it's covered by a home, you know, but, and, and here it is. So you can't go outside and scoop the thing out of the window well. We had to open the window up in the basement, uh, balancing on desks we had in front of the window. You know, we should have taken a picture of that, of my last thing I ever did in my life. And we scoop this, this animal out of the window and rush it away, you know, to get rid of it. Because sometimes you just can't get rid of that stuff. You just hold on to that stuff and, and you're not sure what to do. And I think sometimes worry is a little like that in our lives. You know, we know we should just get rid of it. We know we, don't, we shouldn't walk around with it. We know we ought not carry it around in our hearts and minds so heavily, but it just kind of sticks. It just sort of stays put. And I know this isn't only true in my life, because if you go to Amazon and you search for books about worry, you can buy uh, over 35,000 books that are written about worry and anxiety. Uh, in the last, uh, since 1988, prescriptions for anxiety and depression are up 400%. And so I wish it was as easy as figuring out how to navigate a hidden window well to deal well with worry, but, uh, and it's just not. But I think that we can deal better with worry in our lives. And Jesus teaches us two keys in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, that can help us to deal better with worry in our lives. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. We're going to work our way through verses 25 to 34. Matthew chapter 6, you can, you can find, uh, you know, Matthew chapter 6 in the, uh, the, the Bible app that uh, we, we talk about, the YouVersion app, or in the Wallula app, you can find the outline that's present as well in your outline, uh, in that Wallula app, in this scripture reference, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, as we consider two keys to dealing better with worry in our lives. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. This is what God's word says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and, body more, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow and is, is thrown into the f 
fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, so uh, a really interesting uh, teaching from Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. And I think he, he teaches us uh, two keys that we're going to highlight this morning. Key number one is that worry is futile, fruitless, and inappropriate. Just understand that worry is futile, fruitless, and inappropriate. Uh, he, he, Jesus begins simply by saying, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry. And, and I thought about some of the things that we worry about, and because truly, some of the stuff that we worry about once in a while is really ridiculous, isn't it? I, I just made a list. I found a list of, of 10 things that we worry about that we should stop worrying about completely. You know, we, we should stop worrying about having just the perfect uh, joke or post on social media and how many likes or clicks or whatever that, that that stuff gets. We should stop worrying about looking stupid while we're dancing. Or, or playing a sport or participating in some kind of activity in public, right? We should just stop worrying about what we look like and, and enjoy the relationships and the fun that we're having. We should stop worrying about asking a dumb question in conversation or in class or wherever we are. We should stop worrying about, uh, you know, how our hair looks or, or how the outfit goes together and those sorts of things. We should stop uh, worrying so much. This I worry about this all the time, that you accidentally spit a little bit while talking. You know, we should stop worrying about that. It's going to be okay. Everybody's going to survive. You know, we should stop worrying about getting left out of the group text or forgetting our phone at home. What are we going to do without the phone? We should stop worrying about it. We should stop worrying about, uh, you know, the fact that, or, or that the possibility that your team might lose the really important game. It's not that important. We should stop worrying about it. We should stop worrying about when we accidentally and inadvertently make eye contact with somebody in a, in a room that we didn't mean to, and then we're like, oh, what's that mean? And we should stop worrying about it. We should stop worrying about looking stupid while introducing uh, yourself at a party and just build some relationships. There, there's some truly silly things, as I sort of spit while I talk, that we worry about. And we should stop it. They, it they're inconsequential. They don't matter. But we worry about those things. So I could absolutely, it's easy to get on board when Jesus says, hey, stop worrying. And you make a list of stuff like that. I got you. You're right, Jesus. But then he sort of has the nerve to say, stop worrying about your life, about what you will eat or drink, about your body, about how you'll shelter yourself, how you'll care for yourself, how you'll take care of yourself. I mean, he makes this list of some really, well, important stuff. And when you, when you kind of start thinking about some of the more important stuff in life, man, it becomes less easy to get on board with this suggestion. No, it's not a suggestion. With this idea, with this principle, it's none of those things. I mean, let's, let's be honest. This is a command that Jesus issues to stop worrying. 
We've been talking the last several weeks about money and resources and resource management. And, and uh, it's easy to see the connection here, right? I mean, we, we worry about money. We worry about resources because we need that money to kind of provide for this stuff that Jesus says, hey, stop worrying about. When you, make a, when you search for a, a list of really important things, I read an article about the top six worries that Americans have, and this was obviously written for kind of the uh, election and that sort of thing, and they're all sort of political sort of ideas here, but these were the top six. Uh, Americans worry about income and wealth distribution. Americans worry about the size and power of the federal government. Americans worry about Social Security. They worry about possible terrorist attacks. Americans worry about the economy. Uh, Americans worry about uh, the availability and affordability of health care. These were the top six worries that Americans had in this last election. When you, I, I, I'm no math major, but when you look at that list, at least three of them, probably four of them, the case can be made, maybe all of them at some level, uh, has to do with you know, resources and resource management and you know, money. It's easy to see this kind of connection between worry and money and resources and all of that. And yet Jesus says, I want you to stop worrying about those things. And he uses this example. He says, look at the birds of the air in verse 26. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Birds are really sort of interesting. If you watch birds and, you know, they, Jesus says they don't store, they don't sow, they don't reap, you know, they're... They're constantly in motion, though. Birds have this really super high metabolism rate, and because they're constantly in motion, and because of this super high metabolism rate, they're always looking for food. You know, they're always out looking for food. And Jesus said, man, God provides them uh, with everything they need. And so what I don't think Jesus is teaching here is, hey, just sit back and don't worry about, you know, just sit back and relax and God's going to provide everything. You know, Jesus, I think, is teaching us, man, you need to, you need to work hard. You need to follow the, the example of the birds and you need to put in the effort and you need to work hard. But as you're working hard and as you're putting in that effort, trust that God is going to honor those things and that God is going to, to provide for you and care for you through that effort and through that hard work. Are you not much more valuable than they? I mean, maybe you ought to underline that in your Bible, right? Jesus asks this, this question, are you not more valuable to God than the birds of the air? You know, of course you are. Absolutely you are. God, God loves you and he cares for you and he's created you in and, and just this unique and, and special way. Jesus goes on in verse 27 to say, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You know, worrying is, is not beneficial. It's fruitless. There's no value added to it. Not one more hour is added to your life. In fact, probably the opposite is true, right? I don't want to worry you. So this morning, we're not going to run down all the health risks that are associated with worry. But you can do that Google search on your own. And, and there's this very real connection between sort of anxiety and worry and our physical health on some level. There's, there's no benefit to our, to our health or our well-being by, 
by worrying more. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Jesus goes on to add this example of the, the wild flowers and he dresses them up in spectacular ways and, and he cares for them and they're only here for a, a short season. You are an eternal creature who he loves uh, deeply and he, he's going to take care of you even more than he cares for the flowers in the field for sure. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So don't worry about any of those things. Uh, you know, folks who, uh, pagan is just a, a, a person who doesn't believe in God. You know, uh, somebody who doesn't trust God, they're chasing after those things. And they place those things at a high pro priority. Worry is inappropriate because it misaligns our vision from God's vision. It misaligns our direction from God's direction. It means we're off the, the path. We're going the wrong way when we, when we have a, too much worry in our life. You know, he makes a list, and, and maybe we're in a place where we don't really worry about this stuff. You know, uh, most of us in this room are not too concerned about where our next meal might be coming from. And most of us in this room, there are certainly people in our communities, and we, we are aware of this, who, who deal with that sort of um, under-resourced um, place in their life right now. But most of us in this room aren't in that place. We're not especially worried about uh, maybe, you know, where our shelter is or uh, clothes that we wear. We have some of those basic needs that are sort of met. And so we maybe are, are walk away from this passage saying, you know what? I've sort of, I'm doing this, Jesus. You know, I'm not worried about this stuff. But I think that this principle extends to, to all sorts of different areas in our life where we, we place just these sort of worldly worries above other stuff, uh, above our trust in God. You know, and I'm reminded of this uh, every election, right? There's so much worry at every election. There's so much worry about who's going to win and who's not going to win and who's going to be in office and what's going to happen and, and the, the, uh, the next uh, a few years after that election takes place. And, and no matter how those elections come out and no matter who holds office, you know, my question is, does it change the promises of and the character of our God? Does it change who he is? Does it change uh, what he wants to do in our lives? Does, he change, does it change the promises that he's making in Matthew chapter 6 to provide and to care and to love us? Well, I think the answer in short is, is obviously no. I, I, I was reminded after that election, I thought, well, you know, we, we voted and the election comes out. And now, now what, as a, as a follower of God, should we do? And, and I was reminded of one of my, my favorite uh, Bible verses. In fact, it was a, it was a section of scripture that I, I preached my first real uh, sermon on. So there's a trivia card for the back of my baseball card. Uh, Ma uh, Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It, it's a verse that you will perhaps recognize. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy 
and to walk humbly with your, humbly with your God. You know, when, when we find ourselves with all of these worries sort of building up about this stuff that we probably can't really control, we ought to focus on what we can control, and that's to live our lives in a way where we act justly. That word justice in Scripture is the same as the word that might be translated in other places as righteousness. And so when we talk about justice in Scripture, we're talking about acting in a right way before God, doing what God would have us do. Uh, I was on a campus visit with my, my son at a, at a college, and it was a, a Christian college, and we we're walking around campus, and it was led by one of the athletes on campus, and he said, well, every year there's athletes who come, and then athletes who leave because they don't like the rules that the school has. You know, there are these rules that, that he described as rules of the school that, that were in place, and that, you know, when I was listening to these things, I just thought, well, those... I mean, that's what God asks us to do. You know, it's just us acting rightly. It's us acting in justice. We can choose to live a, a life that's right with God. We can choose to uh, love mercy. You know, this evening you're going to see a slideshow of, of the different small groups here at Wallula Christian Church and some service projects that they undertook in the last several weeks or months. And, and uh, I got to uh, see this uh, a slideshow already and, and to see all the pictures uh, from all sorts of different service projects. And I was just uh, struck by uh, the, the number of folks who were serving well and who were loving others, who, who loved mercy enough so that, so that uh, we could be building relationships and sharing the love of Jesus so we don't get stuck with what we maybe view as just a list of rules, but we're loved to a place of relationship relationship so we can we can act uh, righteously and we can love mercy and we can walk humbly with our God we can stay connected to him and know him more and more and more understand that worry is futile and fruitless and uh, inappropriate we're misaligned from uh, from God's vision in our life and instead we ought to we ought to be uh, acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with him. So let's, let's find out how we do that better, which is really key number two uh, in this section of scripture. Go back to Matthew chapter 6 here, and we're going to take a look at verses 33 and 34 uh, as we consider key number two, which is to focus on the present, to be in the moment, to focus on the present. We're going to actually work backwards here, but this is what verses 33 and 34 say, but seek first his kingdom and his right righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. You know, I, I think there should be a distinction that's made here, because uh, there's a difference between concern and worry. You know, I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, you ought not concern yourself with what might happen tomorrow or in the future. He's not saying, hey, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't consider things in your life that are likely to occur. You know, uh, most of us in this room who, who haven't yet retired hope someday to retire, you know. And so Jesus isn't saying, hey, don't worry or don't think about retirement. Don't concern yourself with that. You know, and so I think it's important that we maybe 
define these words a little bit. Concern focuses on the probable and produces action. Concern focuses on the probable and produces action. And so if we're not retired yet, we, we might be concerned about the fact that we're going to reach retirement age at some point, and we're going to want to retire. And so that, that should probably produce some action in our lives right now. You know, we're, gonna, we're gonna, going to save for retirement. But you can see how easy it is for us to allow that concern to sort of bleed over into anxiety and worry. And worry focuses on the improbable and on the things that we can't control. So for saving for retirement, it's, it goes like this. You know, we, we should save for retirement, but when we worry about that, we worry about, you know, climate change and how it's going to wipe out society as we know it. And then, then you know, the, the markets will fall and crumble unless we're totally invested in gold and, 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 and uh, you know, we won't have any income and we won't be able to survive. And, and that's sort of how worry works in our life, right? It focuses on the things we can't control rather than the probable and the action that we can control. And so Jesus doesn't say, don't be concerned about your life, but he, he's saying, hey, don't focus on the things that we can't control. There's enough worry about that already. Tomorrow will be here soon enough, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day, Jesus says, has enough trouble of its own. You know, that's not necessarily the most encouraging thing we, we've ever heard. But I think what Jesus is saying is, you know, be in the moment because there's enough trouble ahead. And when we place the trouble ahead, when we're only thinking about the trouble in the future, man, it, it piles on even in the moment. I was driving home from work uh, one day last week, and, and I'm, I'm driving in the, the right-hand lane and, and, uh, because somebody in the left-hand lane was going below the speed limit, and I'm passing them on the right. And so I'm a little, well, I'll be, I was a little irritated already, right? So I'm getting past this car, and then it starts swerving over at me. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I speed up and get past the car. And as I do that, I look over and here's, per you know, they're texting while they're driving. They're drifting into that other lane. And man, you, you know, I, I, I thought, well, how crazy is that? We all maybe have done that before and we, we just shouldn't, right? We, we know we shouldn't. Nearly 390,000 injuries occur each year from accidents caused by texting and driving. Uh, one out of every four accidents in the United States is caused by texting and driving. Uh, texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than driving under the influence of alcohol. It's just really dangerous. And why do we put ourselves in that place? Why do we do that? Well, it's because whatever is happening in the future, whether it's five minutes in the future or 20 minutes in the future or a week in the future, is more important than we think than what we're actually doing in the moment, huh? And it's just not. It's so obvious when you sort of walk back from it and you look at the statistics and you know the danger that you're placing yourself in. The moment, the present, is what we ought to be focused on. You know, we can, we can, we can produce action in the present. Jesus said it like this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Put first things first. You know, act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. And then he makes this extraordinary promise that all these other things will be added to you as well. You know, I, we have to be careful here because there are certainly believers 
in our communities and around the world who are struggling, you know, with the resources necessary to sort of make ends meet. And so what's Jesus saying? Well, I don't think that Jesus is saying that God promises to meet, uh, to give you everything you want. He's promising to meet your needs. Uh, He's not exempting believers from suffering. Sometimes that suffering is due to all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's discipline. Hebrews uh, chapter 12 verse 7 talks about that, that God, you know, he's, he's disciplining us on occasion, just like children, to, to lead us in the right direction. And sometimes that suffering is, a, is an act of discipline. Sometimes it provides us with, with testimony. I'm not sure if this is a reason, but it's one of the benefits that that suffering produces in us. And Philippians chapter 4 verse 12 uh, talks about Paul, you know, learning to do with and without and, and just the testimony that that produces in his life. And sometimes Christians uh, suffer simply because we live in a fallen world and that sin is real and the consequence of sin is real in our world. And so every one of us uh, you know, meets with Jesus' promise that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And finally, I think that, that Jesus is pointing out that the problem with meeting needs in our world is not so much with God's provision, but with man's distribution. So we should fe- seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We should take very seriously our role as the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around us and to, to share the love uh, with the world around us, to share the resources that God has, has given us uh, so to manage those well and to share his love with others. One of the ways we do that here at Wallula Christian Church every year is that around Christmas time, we receive a special Christmas offering. We call it the Walk to the Manger offering. We receive this offering, and, and every year we choose some specific areas of need uh, to, to help with. And this year, uh, that Walk to the Manger offering will be received to, to benefit St. Vincent's Clinic, St. Vin- Vincent's clinic is a is a clinic here in Leavenworth that's sort of a safety net clinic with when folks can't afford you know medical care uh, they they can see a doctor a a family doctor at this clinic they can uh, one of the things we'll be uh, sharing our Christmas offering with St. Vincent's for is that there's a huge need for folks who have uh, need medication, have prescriptions that they simply can't afford. St. Vincent's helps them to do that. They're well equipped to make sure that's all really prescribed and all of that. And so I trust them to do that. And, and that would be an awesome way for us to share the love of Jesus by helping folks just get the health care that they need. And so to partner with St. Vincent's Clinic. Uh, every year, part of our Christmas offering, or the last several years, part of our Walk to the Manger offering has gone to Third Thursdays. And that will be the case this year as well. We feed 500 people every, or more than 500 people every third Thursday of the month with our Third Thursday spaghetti meals. And so there's a great team of folks, uh, some of you have participated in that, and we'll, uh, part of our, our Christmas offering will go to benefit that. And then uh, part of our Christmas offering this year will go to, to meet some, some building needs that, that we have. We have some, uh, just some stuff that needs repaired, and we'll, we'll talk some more about those details as, as we get closer. But there's just some needs that, that uh, we need to take care of here. I, I was looking at the church calendar last week, and uh, just Free fact, right? Uh, Every day of the week, there is a group, whether that's a Bible study or a children's ministry or a student ministry, a community group, a youth sports team, there's somebody using this facility every day of the week, which is a 
which is a huge blessing to our community, right? Uh, you know, sometimes we think about church buildings and we think, well, that's just for the folks who happen to be sitting in those buildings. And, and absolutely, our facility uh, facilitates, you know, our worship gatherings and it facilitates some of our small groups and it facilitates, you know, our children's ministry and our student ministry but it facilitates so much uh, more outreach and just, uh, just another way for us to love our community well as folks use you know, our, our building. And so that's one of the ways that we'll be sharing uh, the love of, of Jesus this year through our Walk to the Manger offering. We can, we can focus, we can be in the moment. Uh, we can be concerned about tomorrow and not worry about tomorrow. Uh, that's key number two. You know, my wife Sherry has a few favorite days. She has, a, she has a birthday that she really likes. In fact, I tease Sherry sometimes that her birthday isn't so much a birthday, but a birthday month, right? We are, we're going to pay attention to Sherry's birthday, and so she loves, you know, her birthday. She, she really loves Christmas, and, and uh, you know, we, we all love Christmas, and so that's, that's a fun time in our house. And, but I think that maybe Sherry's most favorite day of the year is citywide cleanup day. You know, most communities have these. You know, they have big dumpsters somewhere, or maybe the trash trucks come. They have special pickups that day. You can leave anything on the curb. Or, you know, in our community, it's, hey, they, they park these huge dumpsters in the city hall parking lot, and you can, you can just take whatever the normal trash pickup won't pick up on that day, and you can dispose of it for free. And, and I think maybe this is Sherry's most favorite day, because every citywide uh, trash cleanup day, man, we're cleaning some up. You know, we're, we're taking something to that place. And, and it just struck me as I thought about uh, Sherry's most favorite day that sometimes with worry, it's just a matter of having someplace to leave it. That stuff that we hold on to, sometimes we hold on to it just because we're not sure where to take it. We're not sure where to dump it. We're not sure where to leave it. I want you to know that scripture promises that we can cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus wants to know you. If for no other reason that you have a place to take all those worries and those concerns, that anxiety, and you can place it at his feet. He's won that victory for